every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The Darwin Triple Crown provided some surprising results with the three wins going to Mark Winterbottom, Brock Feeney and Jack LeBrock. In Carrera Cup, it was a clean sweep for Centurion race starter Dale Wood and in Australian Superbikes, it was a win for Josh Waters and two for Troy Herfoss. Parity was a big talking point in supercars across the weekend with race two featuring a top nine locked out by Camaros. A number of drivers and team bosses are now beginning to speak out on the matter and it's not all about engine either. Engine fires were back in the headlines as well after Cam Waters' car went up in flames in race one. A fuel leak has been blamed this time around. There was a crackdown on suspension scrutineering heading into the round while new engine maps were trialled on both sides of the manufacturer divide and used by the Ford teams. The supercars drivers are working towards formalising their drivers' association, similar to what is seen in the AFL and the NRL. The silly season seems to be coming alive, with Ryan Wood emerging as a player with interest from both Walkinshaw Andretti United and Team 18. Rumours of a potential WAU deal for Cam Waters remain persistent as well. Virtual safety cars could be coming to supercars. Technology that could be used for that was trialled, albeit unsuccessfully, in Darwin. It appears sanity will prevail in the Joey Mawson Super Licence case, with supercars expected to allow him to suit up for Premier Racing at the Enduros later this year. And the federal government has withdrawn $12.5 million of funding allocated to the second Bathurst circuit, which has seen the Bathurst Regional Council effectively shelve that project. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that would never float into mediocrity like a Ford Supercars driver, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? Hello, Andrew. I'm uh, glad you're not telling me I've forgotten how to podcast or anything like mm. that. Yep. How was, uh, how was your weekend in Darwin? It was exciting. There was a lot going on. It was a newsy weekend from, uh, from top to bottom. Obviously, parody, a big talking point. Um, you know, when someone like uh, Bruce Stewart, who is usually – reasonably shy when it comes to addressing the media uh, and speaking out on the record is uh, is dropping epic quotes like that uh, watching his great drivers uh, descend into mediocrity uh, is uh, when you know when he's reaching that point of frustration and wanting to actually speak out uh, on on terms as, as frank as that then there's something pretty gnarly going on maybe uh, Bruce should be leaning into that narrative then he can uh, pay his drivers a bit less uh, yes, that could definitely be a uh, be an option. We're going to talk about Bruce and his 
drivers or potential drivers for next year a little bit further down the track. But let's start with unwrapping what we saw in Darwin over the weekend. And while the racing was a little tame and, dare I say, Carrera Cup-like, the results themselves were pretty wild. Frosty took his first race win since 2016 and first podium since 2018 on the Saturday after the monster Mustang decided to barbecue itself while leading. Uh, a Brock Feeney win on Sunday morning was less of a surprise given the form that young man is in before Jack LeBrock converted pole to his second career win and first for Matt Stone Racing on Sunday after. Stefan, there's some real feel-good results there, although Frosty's first win in a very long time was a bit overshadowed by that uh, Waters fire. And I guess the first – I guess it was the first real win for LeBrock as well, given his first win came during the weirdness of COVID and the and in the high-deck tie rules at Sydney Motorsport Park. What did, um, what did you make of it all? Yeah, it was a bit of an odd weekend in terms of the results being very mixed, but there not actually being a lot of action in the races. Like, judging by – some of the driver comments, those front tyre temps were a big issue when yep. following another car. And if you had clear air on the nose, you were laughing like Frosty was in, in race one or, or JLB in race three. So, yeah, unfortunately, they weren't great races, but the weekend still provided plenty of storylines for us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was actually – they were great qualifying sessions. It was a bit like um – you know, obviously it's an easy comparison to make Monaco and Hidden Valley, but you know, it was all the excitement was on qualifying and getting that job done because the field was tight. Like the times were so incredibly tight. Um, but yeah, if you could just get to the front, then you just had this opportunity to basically just drive, you know, like look at the look at the last lap of the of the first race where Shane dropped seemingly purposely two seconds to Bryce Forward on that last lap. He was nursing an engine mm. overheating issue and whatever and clearly clearly trying to frustrate Will Brown behind him but Will just couldn't find a, a way past and he did it in the space of like three corners and Will just could absolutely absolutely couldn't find a way past which kind of says that yeah passing was pretty tough yeah unfortunately for the Ford guys the only bloke who got to the front and couldn't stay there was Cam Waters when his uh, car caught on fire yeah, let's move straight on to that uh, Waters fire. I have to say there was a sinking feeling as that car went up in flames, the realisation that it could be a very long night of unpacking how it had happened. I know for a fact that same sinking feeling was felt in the Supercast technical bunker, something that Adrian Burgess admitted to myself and some colleagues later in the evening. But the good news was that, you know, it appeared to be a fuel connector that had worked its way loose. It wasn't necessarily a repeat of what we had seen at Albert Park. Um, now, how that fuel connector got loose uh, is the subject of some some conjecture. Supercar seems to feel that it wasn't tightened or checked. Uh, Tickford boss Tim Edwards indicated that there was a design flaw. Uh, I do know for a fact that all the Ford engines were checked and not all of them were as tight as they should be and higher mileage engines seem to be more susceptible to looseness. Uh, the question is now whether the coupling needs to be redesigned or whether it just becomes a case of it becoming a part of any pre-session nut and bolt process. Um but, you know, however it happened, like, Stefan, how unbelievable is it that we saw another major engine fire, you know, this early in the season from a Ford Mustang? Yeah, as, as you say, it was a scary moment, not just for Cam, but for the whole category. Like, if it had been a repeat of that Albert Park issue, who knows what that would have meant for, for the whole mm. race meeting, really. But um, in terms of the fallout from here, I think it highlighted the fact that there are a few little interface things like this fuel connector where there are differences team to team and yep. that arose because of the rush to get the cars built. So there needs to be some work done to standardise that because clearly some solutions are, 
a little better than others. Um, I think the other thing was the fact that those flames came through the firewall. That was pretty alarming on the TV to see that. But yeah. at least that was an easy, quick fix. I believe all the teams were reminded on Sunday morning to use the proper aluminium cover um, to cover the TV cabling holes in the firewall if they're not in use rather than just sealing it over with tape, which I believe was the case with Car 6. Yeah. Let's chat a bit about uh, Erebus and their form uh, at Hidden Valley. Now, the team has come out of the weekend with its series leads intact, although that drama for Brody on Sunday afternoon means his driver's lead has been slashed down to about half of what it was. Um, now, there was a bit of a crackdown on suspension scrutineering heading into the weekend with reminders to teams about having roll bars connected and a new tool in play to measure caster. Um, of course, the scuttlebutt was whether that would lead to Erebus coming back to the field from all the other teams. Um, and while there's no way to really quantify if any of that is related to any form, we certainly did see a more beatable side to a team to the team than we have seen so far this year. Did you feel that, that, that they have come back to the field a little bit, Stefan? Well, clearly they did in terms of the results. They weren't quite as sharp as they have been either in the quality pace or, or the race pace. But, yeah, only they will truly know the reasons. But from what I gather, it's not a specific thing like caster. Yeah. It's more that they just didn't quite have the cars in the right setup window for the track conditions and obviously it was a lot hotter than it's been at the last few rounds and if you look back like the only other sort of hot event we've had was Newcastle where the Erebus cars were okay but they weren't spectacular in the races yeah. there yeah. either so yeah they weren't quite as sharp but they also weren't far away so I don't no. think they'll be panicking about where they're at speed wise it would have still been a really good weekend for them if it wasn't for Brody coming unstuck there in that last race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of if that is if that is the the trough of their of their of their peaks and troughs, and that's that's all they have to do damage limitation on, then they're still in for a, a very good season and still very much right in the hunt for all the silverware that is on uh, offer. It's interesting you mentioned about the setup window and stuff. I was talking to Dave Reynolds on Sunday night, and he sort of he made what I thought was an interesting comment. He said like it's it's the cars are hard to get in the window, but it's really easy to fall out of the window. And obviously, like, Groves have gone backwards in the last couple of rounds pretty spectacularly as well. Um, and it's kind of – it doesn't take much of a shift in the conditions, whether it's what control tyre you're running on or weather or whatever, to suddenly go, hang on a minute, we're, we're miles away from where we need to be. And even if we're not miles away, you know, when the whole field's separated by six-tenths, then you suddenly look pretty average. And we saw some big names down the back of the field in some of the qualifying sessions. Yeah, even even day to day, it can change a lot as we yep. saw or one 10-minute session to the next if you don't quite get everything right. So, yep. yeah, being consistently up there like they have been is a pretty hard thing to do through the whole year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, it's really time to count Brock Feeney as a very, very genuine title contender. Uh, I'm not saying I ever doubted whether he was you know a good driver or not, but the way he's driving this year I, I think is quite incredible. Like he had Giz's measure all weekend in Darwin, and it's not the first time this season that that's been the case. Um, right now, I reckon he's a big shot at the title because Triple Eight does seem to be developing its consistency. Um, I reckon he's right in the game. What do you think? Yeah, well, Brock would be leading the championship right now if he'd not lost those points with a disqualification back in Newcastle. And even so, he's ahead of Shane in the points. He's only 91 off the lead now. So, yeah, he's right in it. And he's looking stronger and hungrier than Shane is at the moment. It's just such an interesting dynamic even within that garage right now. It could go either way in terms of who their strongest contender ends up being. But 
Brock's just getting better and better. And I think on the weekend, seeing him get a podium on a Saturday, like the Mr. Sunday thing's kind of been talked up as kind of funny, but that was something they needed to work on being stronger earlier in the weekend. And, and clearly they did that up there on the 88 car. Well, I had a chat with Brock on the Sunday evening in Darwin about his title hopes and a few other things, and here's what he had to say. Yeah, is it starting to sink in that you're actually a title contender here? Like, you're doing the business at the moment. Yeah, no, it's been good. Um, yeah, I think I said it a few rounds ago, if we can get our consistency right, we've got the pace when we qualify up the front to, to get race wins and that, and... And this weekend was a good one, you know, it's certainly ticking the boxes for me, but I felt like coming into this year I had good confidence and, and I knew it was an equal playing field and a, a big opportunity for, for people to step up and, yeah, we've done a great job as a team. Um, it's not, <laughs> I'm just the guy that drives it, but I've got fantastic people behind me. Me and my engineer are working great, my mechanics. It's been a big collective effort. How has Marty sort of found that step up? Like it is a big step up, you know, yep. when you came from Super 2 um, the other year, you had to go with the old car against people who had like an immense amount of experience with yep. that car. How nice has it been to have, the, have that reset and sort of have a fresh crack at it for both of you? Yeah, I think it's been great. Obviously last year, it's probably nearly as a bigger jump for him than it is for me, you know what I mean? You're going from Super 2 and, and doing stuff like that to full time in the shop, analysing how we're going to go faster at the racetrack. And, Honestly, I can't speak highly of him enough this year. He's been fantastic. And, and we've got the guys to lean on, like Jeremy and, and Pete and, you know, the other engineers that certainly help. But um, he's been fantastic this year. And we got a real good understanding together of, you know, when I say something, he completely understands me. And he's never, like, I've never heard him stressed. You know what I mean? He's super cool, calm and collected. And, and um, yeah, I feel like we've been working real well together. Have you had to relearn that language a little bit with these new cars just because they behave so differently to the old cars? Um, I don't know if we've had to relearn it, but like certainly things do different things than the other cars. And there's, <laughs> it's a weird one. Sometimes you throw, th throw so many things at it and it, and it doesn't feel too different. Yeah. But, um, at, but then in qualifying, it's so close. So you just got to make sure it's, it's so, I suppose, you know, right in the range. But um, yeah, I feel like at our test day, all the things that we went through, we wrote a list down, this is what this does, this is what this does. Yep. So now when we sit down in a debrief, we sort of know what we're looking for and what tool will help it. Shane is a formidable competitor for anybody in the field. Yeah. You've actually got to share a garage and share equipment with him and share data. Obviously yeah. that goes two ways, but it must be, it's a feather in your cap that you're actually taking it to him at the moment. What's your sort of feeling on that? Yeah, obviously it's, you know, I like winning races and if you win races, you're ahead of everyone else. But um, it's about working together as a team and, and we know we're not as strong as we need to be at the moment. Obviously, we want both cars up there consistently and um, I said it yesterday, I still think he's, he's the guy to beat and he's probably the best guy on the grid still. So there's no doubting that. It just shows in the races, he's still got great pace. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. I mean, I'm really enjoying working with him. Uh, he's been great. We're getting along super well and just a couple of mates going racing together and, and helping each other out where we can. He said last year that he was really hoping you would take that step up because that yeah. was what the team was going to need. Do you find that he is coming to you a bit more maybe on sort of ideas or how to push the whole Gen 3 program forward? Uh, not, I don't think he's really coming to me or anything like that, but we're super open about anything and, yeah. and we openly discuss racing lines, setups, uh, what changes we're doing and stuff like that but obviously the data is a big one I mean yeah. you're still 
doesn't matter if you're quicker by a few tenths in one corner, you're at least going to be, you know what I mean? Mm. So we go back and forth a lot and engineers obviously work super close, but obviously Friday we were sort of running solo. Uh, yeah. They didn't get any running, so it's been good the last couple of days to, to have someone to lean on and see what they've tried and, and mix things up. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. Well, it's time to talk parody, Stefan. It was unsurprisingly a huge topic over the weekend with three Camaro wins and eight Camaro podiums. One of the great shames of the Waters Fire on the Saturday was that we didn't get to see what his rear tyre life would have been like across the race and whether even in those conditions that very much favoured the leading car, whether he could have hung on and actually taken the first legitimate win for a Mustang for the season. There was an amazing impromptu drivers meeting with a lot of Ford drivers and a cameo from Shane Van Gisbergen in the pit lane on Sunday evening and a much more serious chat between Bruce Stewart, Tim Edwards, Carl Foe and David Couchy in the lane as well. Tim and Bruce spoke to the media afterwards and were quite upfront about their concerns, um, particularly for Bruce, who was usually very reserved, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, the thing is, Stefan, like my intel from Ford Performance on Saturday evening was that the mapping changes were starting to work and the camshafts were playing the game better than they have done before. It was a much flatter cam table. You know, they're not getting that movement in certain parts of the of the rev range. Um, and they kind of felt like engine-wise there was some real progress with the latest mapping that went into the car. And that really kind of suggests that something else is the issue and it's probably aero. Like this is just a mess. And I really don't see with the existing processes we have in place how it's going to get fixed. Yeah, well, this was obviously unusual in terms of Gen 3 being a new a new body, but also engines as well. And we haven't had this parity conversation flip back and forth between engine and aero yep. previously. So it's uh, been an unusual one from that perspective. But clearly now we're waiting. We're all waiting to see what happens next because there's big question marks around what a short-term fix might look like as well as what the bigger picture plan here is because – if it really is aero, like the category is surely going to have to look at adding wind tunnel testing to the process. Like Definitely. Yep. That might be a million-dollar exercise to ship those cars over to the States and have some wind tunnel time, but the fundamentals of what they're trying to achieve at the moment, it's just so difficult. Like the process that they have now with their straight line and their CFD, it's light years better than it was five years ago. It's, yep. it's improved so much, but – close enough isn't actually good enough with Gen 3. Like these cars yep. are so spec, the margins are so tiny, there's only two manufacturers. So any difference can just separate the grid into two blocks like we're kind of seeing. And I'd hate for it to go to a balance of performance type formula because you only end up with more politics and more sandbagging with that. And we've yep. seen that in GT. But yeah, this technical parity road that they're on, gee, it's it's a really rough one to, to try to get it right. And that is such a good point, Stefan. Like the the in the old days, you know, pre Gen three, even if your car did have an aero disadvantage, you might have had an advantage somewhere else. You might have had a, a solution to work around that in terms of setup or whatever. You know, like we obviously saw it in twenty nineteen, um, but now there's just nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. If your car can't work as well as another one, you don't have the tools to try and fix it. And you don't even have the in-car adjustment to try and make your rear tie life better or whatever, you know? Mm. So yeah, that, that is a, that, that is a fantastic point that 
it's really shone a light on the importance of if you're going to try and have technical parity, the more even you make the cars, there better be technical parity. And we obviously just don't quite have it at the moment. Yeah, but it's such a difficult one to get right because it would be easy to go too far the other way. And all the big prizes of the year are yet to be determined. Like the yes. Ford seems to have pretty good straight line. So if you go to Sandown and Bathurst, yeah, you wouldn't want to have given them too much the other way. But at the same time, looking at the results, it can't continue like this. And the only way that this parity debate is going to end is when Ford start winning races one way or yep. another. So, yeah, this technical parity process is, is very difficult. I mean, in some ways, I'd love to see them just give the manufacturers a box to work in for their aero and just say, design and homologate, submit yep. what you want. And if you win, you've done a good job. And if you don't, you haven't done a good job. But at the yep. moment, this system is is on supercars. And, uh, and that's a pretty tough one. Obviously, there's there's pluses and minuses for all those other other ideas as well. But, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of serious discussions being had right now. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I really wouldn't be surprised if we end up in wind tunnels and with transient dinos and all the stuff because there's just so much bemusement as to what's going on, even from the Ford teams. Like, they don't – that's probably the, the – thing that's frustrating guys like Tim Edwards and Bruce Stewart at the moment is that they're like they don't we don't we don't know what's happening we don't actually know why this is happening we, they all have their hunches but they don't actually know because they don't have access to the range of data that they used to have so yeah it definitely something needs to happen because it's it's not a it, it's it's a good thing for interest in the sport to some extent like any sort of drama <laughs> is but it can't keep going on like this. Um, speaking of engines and maps, there was an interesting trial of a safety car speed limiter on Friday in Darwin, or there was meant to be at least. Um, it was trialled in SVG's car in practice one, and the plan was that there would be a wider rollout and trial at the end of practice two with multiple cars using the limiter, but it didn't actually work on Giz's car, so it was binned after that. Um, now, once it's sorted, there's various ways that it could be used. So the idea would be that once, if a safety car is called, um, you press the button and you'll be speed limited to something that was 120 kilometres an hour. They were trialling on, on Shane's car um, at Hidden Valley. Um, so it could be used to just slow cars down and stop them racing to the control line when a safety car is coming out, which is something we've spoken about on the pod before and is definitely pretty sketchy. Um, but there's a chance that it could also be used as a virtual safety car. It could just slow down the field to rectify more minor issues and that sort of stuff. Um, now, Stefan, I'm all for stopping the racing to the line. I'm all for this being used as a safety thing in terms of, you know, when you're introducing a safety car to neutralise the field. But please, no VSC. I just don't like it. It's it's none of the fun of, it's none of the fun of a safety car. Like you, you don't, you know, like, yeah, I just don't like it. Yeah, I think uh, we've talked about both of these topics probably in isolation before that the, there's nothing more disappointing than in an F1 race to see a VSC rather than a safety car. But, yeah, the big topic here really is the the issue of cars going too fast when the safety car is called. Yeah. It's been an issue for a long time, so to see them take a step towards a solution is great. And, I mean, they did trial a similar speed limiter system at Hidden Valley and Winton as well, I believe, back in 2016. Mm -hmm. But it proved to be really hard on the valve trains. Yeah. Um, but hopefully with this drive-by-wire throttle that these engines have got, that they can control that side a bit better and then the challenge is just around policing the activation of it fairly and how it, how it kicks in 
um, when they need to use it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it was clearly a shame what happened with Shane's car in, in practice at Hidden Valley. But um, overall, this is a great thing that they need to keep working on. Yeah, no, it's a good step. And there was genuine surprise in uh, you know down at Triple Eight and from the Supercars technical team and from um, KRE that it didn't work because they, they just couldn't see why it wouldn't actually work. They bolted into the car thinking it wouldn't be an issue. But whether mm. it was actually getting marked up and said it was getting stuck on and Shane couldn't go over 120, but I think he did like a seven dead or something like while they were still <laughs> fiddling with it. So I don't know if that was necessarily the case, um, but – um, it was obviously affecting the engine, and and all the all the Chevys really struggled in practice one because they bolted a map in that again Triple Eight used at QR the other weekend felt was really really positive in terms of drivability, and um, the cars wouldn't idle. No one could get their car to actually idle, so it was um, there was all sorts of sort of ECU related fun and games going on for uh, for all the Camaros in practice one. Yeah, I'm sure with that um, limiter, if they thought it was going to be a drama, they would have at least trialled it on the wild card or something rather than yep. on Shane's car because yep. um, that definitely set a uh, set a bad tone for his weekend. It certainly did, and he didn't need much more to be going wrong, wrong to not be in the best mood. But anyway, let's touch on this uh, Drivers' Association thing, Steph. And now we covered off the formation of an informal Drivers' Association on our post-Newcastle pod, uh, but now there's a movement to actually make it official. Uh, the drivers all met on Friday evening in Darwin, and more meetings are planned for Townsville. Chaz Mostert and Shane Van Gisbergen appear to be leading the charge. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how supercars and the teams respond to it. I think if it's framed as being safety-focused, it can get support, but hints of it being used as a bargaining tool outside of safety might have a few people a little worried. What do you reckon, Stefan? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this one unfolds. Like the drivers clearly are a critical part of the sport and it makes sense for them to have a formalised group. It's common in other codes and, and also categories like Formula One with their drivers association that's been in place for a long time. So we'll see though where the drivers want to take it as you hint at there. If it strays into commercial matters, I'm sure it won't be welcomed quite the same way as it has been based on a, a safety kind of initiative. But, um, yeah, there's been a few lunges at this before, though, hasn't there, creating a driver group, and they haven't ended up making it work. It's a, it's a hard thing to make competitors united on, on things like this. It definitely is. Um, I've written many many a driver's association story over the uh, over the years that I've been in the paddock. It was actually funny. I was talking to a certain senior Grove Racing driver uh, about it, at Darwin, and he was telling me a very funny story about uh, how the last time this happened, the charge was led by Russell Engel, and uh, every driver in the field gave him 500 bucks to get it off the ground, uh, and he sent a couple of emails, and that was it, and kept everybody's $500, uh, and no drivers association ever showed up, but but Russell ended up with 500 bucks from every driver in his back pocket, and probably pretty happy about it. But yeah, it's a. I guess what where this is where this sport is so different from like you know an AFL or an NRL is that. If it is, if it does become a matter of trying to control um, commercial factors, is that nearly every driver is on a completely different commercial structure in terms of driving the car. You've got guys that bring money. You've got guys that are getting paid money. You've got guys that are getting paid no money but don't have to bring any money but are tied to a sponsor. You've got guys that take a bit of money out of sponsorship they bring to the team to pay themselves. Like it's, it's such a different sport to pretty much any sport where obviously there are factors beyond merit that determine whether you're actually taking part in the sport 
or not, which I think is hmm. where it could sort of or where where it kind of does get a little tricky um, in that respect. But I think that you know. Uh, at the same time, I can understand the the desire for a, for a united voice on matters such as safety, particularly when you know we have a brand new car and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it will be fascinating to see where it goes. Yeah, I, I don't personally know what the discussions are or the plans are, but I guess some of the other areas where it could go into are what uh, obligations the drivers have to supercars in terms of appearances yep. and autograph sessions and other commercial elements where it is actually relevant to the driver group, yeah. Um, un- unlike things like salaries and whatever, which maybe is an AFLPA thing that's yep. never going to be applicable to supercars, exactly. but there's certainly some some scope there for it to stray into commercial matters. Which, which I'm sure supercars will be a little wary about. But anyway, we'll see how it unfolds. I mean, Shane Howard did say at the Grand Prix, you know, he put a, a lot of support behind the informal drivers association that was already operating. So we'll see we'll see whether his support extends to a more formal um, setup if it comes to it. And to round out the news, there's a bit of silly season chat about Stefan. Uh, Super 2 star Ryan Wood isn't just an option for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United if it decides to replace Nick Percat, but is a genuine target for Team 18 as well in the seat currently occupied by Scott Pye. Uh, Ryan's shown a lot of promise, and I reckon he has a big future in the sport, but even still, having options after two Super 2 rounds, even if you've won two of the four races, is, is quite remarkable. What do you reckon? Yeah, the, the story of... Uh would potentially going to Team 18 um, that I saw you wrote on the weekend. Yeah, definitely interesting for a few reasons. Like surely if that happened, it would be on the basis of Walkinshaw's loaning him out and keeping him under contract for the future. Yeah. Because I don't think they just want to let him go. No, sure. Um, and we've already seen him loan uh, Warren Luff to, uh, to Team 18 as well. Mm. But um, so if it was to be a loan deal – does that mean they're keeping Nick Perkat for another year or are these rumours that Walkinshaws are making a play for Cam Waters, are they real? Look, I genuinely don't know. There's certainly the rumours about Cam Waters and WAU just won't die. Like nobody seems to want to admit it. Um, but, you know, there, there's, a, there's a theory out there that he needed to show some interest by Darwin um, and, yeah, there's just there's – just, more than enough smoke for there to be some fire there, that there has been some discussions or there is some genuine interest from one or both sides or whatever. So it could be interesting to see how it moves in the next few weeks given the sort of talk of that Darwin soft deadline. Um, I'm just I'm just really not sure it would work. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I see it as a fantastic move um, for the drive, for, for Cam Waters. It would be... An amazing lineup, but obviously it is such the Chaz and Debore show. There, it's a pretty intimidating uh, thing to take on. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's again that there's layers to it because Tickford are adamant that Cam's already under contract. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a team co-owned by a lawyer might be a formidable thing to take on before you actually lob next to Chaz in the other car true, as well. True. So, <laughs> yeah, very, very interested to see how all that plays out for sure. All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Max Verstappen took a lights-to-flag win to seal Red Bull Racing's 100th victory in Formula 1, the team becoming 
just the fifth in the category's history to reach that mark. Fernando Alonso finished second and Lewis Hamilton third. Oscar Piastri finished 12th for McLaren. Jorge Martin won a thrilling German MotoGP at the Saxon Ring ahead of Francesco Bagnaia, the Spaniard having also won the sprint race. Jack Miller finished a distant sixth amid a horde of Ducatis. And Alex Below won the IndyCar race at Road America from Joseph Newgarden and Pado O'Ward. Scott McLaughlin finished seventh and Will Power 13th. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Alistair Ronfeld says, It seemed like SVG was nowhere to be seen on the Darwin broadcast except when he got onto the podium. Do you think he was hiding away from cameras or have Supercars Media given up on trying to talk to him? Well, Alistair, it's probably a little from column A and a little from column B, I reckon. Giz does not like the Darwin round at the very best of times because he hates the heat. He was saying on Sunday evening, and his favourite part of going to Darwin is leaving Darwin. I'm reasonably sure those involved in the broadcast wouldn't have reckoned on getting much value out of Shane over the weekend, particularly when Supercars itself was responsible for some of his woes with that safety car limiter test that we talked about on the Friday. And I think being left alone by the media would always suit Shane just fine. Stefan, does that seem about right? Well, yeah, considering the broadcasts are largely about how great everything is, Shane interviews <laughs> don't necessarily fit that mould too well and, and it works both ways yeah I, I did briefly think towards the end of race two that he might slow it up a bit and make sure he's not on the podium so he doesn't have to do the uh, the interview in Park Verme as well but he's in a definitely in a weird spot at the moment with his relationship with the category but um, yeah yeah we'll see he might uh, have a very good weekend in the NASCAR at Chicago and uh, come back refreshed and uh, just smoke everyone in the second half of the season you never know he might just not come back. It might be Richie's dad away in the 97 in Townsville. We know Richie at Townsville. There's some, there's some you know, he, he knows how to put mm -hmm. on a spectacular show there. We know that much. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Uh, Stefan, I just can't go past a man who was an old mate of both of ours, Will Power. He captured the hearts and minds of everybody by reviving the double bird aimed at Scott Dixon at Road America, then calling Romain Grosjean a piece of crap which I, I don't know, that's just a nice little phrase there, and blasting circuit management. Um, you know I love these outbursts and I wish we had more of them yeah, across the sport and I've never been proud of the great man that I was when I saw it. I must have watched that interview about five times because I just uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it so much. Um, who gets your Castrol SOTW this week? Uh, that's going to be hard to top, Andrew, <laughs> that uh, – yeah, when he gets on a roll, he just uh, absolutely goes everyone. It's just the um, casual. It's just the casual nature, you mm. know. It wasn't quite like Magnuson to Hulkenberg, like casual insult, but just the way he just launched, like just sort of stopped and went, yeah. And Romain Grosjean, what a piece of crap! Like just brilliant. I loved it. Anyway, sorry. To please be carry to on. be fair on Will though, like that Dixon incident was just ridiculous. Yeah, and crazy. then looking. Briefly seeing the clip of the, the Grosjean thing as well, that was bad, like the yep. way he put him in the grass on the straight. So they were all fairly legit grievances. But totally. Uh, we're not used to seeing someone uh, machine gun fire out those sort of tear-ups <laughs> <laughs> over here. But uh, anyway, my star of the week uh, is going to whoever designed the rear suspension of the current uh, Mercedes F1 car. Like, granted, George Russell eventually retired from the Canadian Grand Prix with some brake issues, but the fact he could continue in the race after how hard he hit the wall was just incredible. Like, it's a, it's a funny world when our touring cars disintegrate like Coke cans when they uh, meet some concrete, but F1 cars are just built like tanks these days. They really are, but I mean, they, oh, just thinking about even the Brody clash in the last race, these Gen 3 cars really do fall to 
fall apart a little bit too easily. So, yes, you're right. It's quite a juxtaposition when you see someone sort of bashing the wall and carrying on like that. Anyway, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.